Thank you for listening to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon out of Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, and it's titled, God's Everlasting Love. So thank you for listening. If you have a Bible today, please open it up to Romans 8, verses 31 through 39 will be our text today. Today, we will be finishing Romans 8. Notice I did not say we will be finishing Romans. We've got about 30 or so weeks left uh, in the book of Romans. We've been doing this now for about 34 weeks. And so uh, today we're going to talk about God's everlasting love. God's everlasting love. I want you to think with me this morning back to a time where Either you expressed love or someone else expressed love and it brought about great joy and excitement. Um, I can remember when Jennifer and I were dating and, um, you know, uh, we've been dating just a little while. You know, I'm like, all right, man, I think, I, you know, we, we're probably going to end up married. And we kind of had that urge to merge. And so... Um, I went out and I bought an engagement ring. Now, here were the thoughts in my mind. Because it, was, it, was, it was, wasn't real far from Christmas. And I thought, you know, I'll get this engagement ring. I'll sit on it for a while. And, you know, now, I didn't say this out loud. But some of you would say, kill two birds with one stone. I mean, that's, that's not really a great saying. But not only can this be an engagement ring, this can be a Christmas gift. Uh, can I just say that's not good. <laughs> I would not encourage that, young men. Or old men, either one. Okay? So, um, I bought it thinking I'll hold on to it, and it was just burning a hole in my, well, not my pocket. I didn't walk around with it. In, in my dresser. It was burning a hole in my dresser. Uh, so, here's where I got the ring, the little town that I was living in at the time. Um, I went down to the only jewelry store in town, uh, now, it, it, it was a dual-purpose uh, store. <laughs> it, was, it was a very classy jewelry store in front and a pawn shop in back. <laughs> and that's all we had. That's all we had. And, uh, and so, uh, now I was assured, I was assured that the, uh, I don't know, maybe half-carat diamond ring that I bought... I was assured that no one had ever worn that ring before. And so uh, I believe old man Katz, and not only that, but he, uh, he allowed me to pay it out $100 a month. And so I took that, and I'm thinking, you know what, I'm going to give it to her this Friday night. And so I, uh, I decided I'll cook supper for us, and she could come over, and then I will ask her to marry me. And so uh, I made a, a, a dish that I made all the time, Beef stroganoff. Yes, yes. Not that hard. Uh, get ground beef and hamburger helper, uh, the box, and you just stir it all together. And, uh, and it was good, though. It was good for a single guy, you know. And so, so anyway, I had that there, and we were sitting at the table, and I thought, okay, I just can't wait any longer uh, before we even eat. I'm just going to ask her because I'm ready to ask her right now. And so I went down to one knee. God is my witness. Jennifer will confirm this. I go down to one knee, and as I go down to one knee, the most excruciating cramp grabs my leg. 
And I tried to hold it, but I couldn't. And so, you know, I came up real quick and I hit the table and almost flipped over and stroking off anyway. We didn't eat it. And, and so, um, but she said yes. She said yes. Right, right, almost, you know, 24 years later. And she said yes. And I can remember we got in my car and we drove over to the minister of music at our at the church I was serving at. I was a, a youth director there. And we went over to their house and I'm, you know, Dave and Joanne. I'm like, Dave, she said, yes. She said, yes. She said, yes. We're, we're, we're going to read today about a love that is greater than any we've ever known. It is a love that is out of this world. It is everlasting. It is not situational. It is not conditional. And i got to be honest with you, my prayer for you today is that before you leave here, you will understand just how much God loves you. And that, I mean, you know, flip the table over, right? Throw the stroganoff in the air. God loves you. So let's look at the passage of Scripture. <clears throat> he says in verse 31 of Romans chapter 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, delivered him up for us all, delivered him up for us all. That kind of goes a little bit with what we talked about last week. Delivered us up for, delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, and he quotes a passage from Psalms, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor things present, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. I can just see Paul sitting there like, what else do I have to write down? Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Flip the table over, sling the stroganoff in the air. That's how much God loves you. I mean, my goodness, how in the world can you read that and not almost be like David and just want to do a dance to the Lord after the service, not, not in the service right now. So with all that being said, we're going to look at Four questions as we talk about God's everlasting love that are in our text. The first question is this. In verse 31, he says, who can be against us? Now, we know we have enemies. The Bible says we have enemies. The world, that's an enemy. The flesh, that's an enemy. Satan, the devil, that's an enemy. 
Now, we know that we are to crucify the flesh, right? Daily we're to die to the flesh. Not letting the flesh control us, but instead being controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, We know that the Bible tells us this, when we resist the devil, the devil will flee from us. And then we know that we're going to experience many people who try to oppose us in the Christian life in this world. But the good news, he says, is God is for us. Matter of fact, in verse 31, my translation, and it's unfortunate, my translation reads, if God is for us. In the original language, the Greek, it reads this way, since God is for us. Maybe you have a translation that says it that way. Since God is for us, then who can be against us? Here's what that means, that you and I do not have to fear in Jesus Christ. That means that, uh, that, that, means that we, we don't have to be afraid of anything that the world throws at us or the flesh brings to us or even the devil throws at us. This is not the only time in the Bible, church, that this tells us this. Psalm 27, verse 1. Listen to what Psalm 27, 1 says. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Can I ask you a question today? Isn't it good to know that someone much more powerful than you is protecting you? Yeah, absolutely. That wherever you walk tomorrow, you don't have to be afraid. Wherever you walk next week, you don't have to be afraid. Am I the only one or can somebody identify with me this morning? There have been times where I've gone into a week and I'm like, wow, I never saw this one coming. This was not in my planner, right? I I not put this on my calendar app in my phone. How in the world am I going to get through this? And it's so easy for us to sit there and we have to deal with the circumstances of being in this world to throw up our hands and say, oh my goodness, I just have fear that is overwhelming me. He says here, you don't have to have that because God's for you. God's for you. You say, how much is God for us? Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely, graciously give us all things? You want to know how much God loves you? He's already given you the very best, Jesus. He's not going to withhold. He's not going to withhold what you need. He said, well, hey, I was listening to a guy yeah, last night. Late night, I couldn't sleep, got up, turned on the TV. And I was listening to some preacher last night who said that God wants to give me all things. And he said that if I just sow a little bit into his ministry, then God would give me the house and God would give me the car. And if I just believed it and claimed it, it'd be mine. Can I just say, stop watching late night TV preachers? I'd say you don't watch anybody that comes on past 11 o'clock because that's the late service with me. 
Now, listen to me. Understand, those guys rob God of glory because God wants to do something greater than just give you tangible things in this world. God wants to give you peace. God wants to give you purpose. God wants to give you uh, knowledge that surpasses all understanding. God is doing for you that which cannot be contained in this life and in this world. Let's not rob him of what he is doing by focusing on these tangible things. I'm just saying God is for you and he will willingly give you everything you need in life. He's already given you the best, Jesus. Imagine with me if you could, let's just say that, you know, some of you high rollers, let's just say that you decided you were going to go out and buy your wife an expensive diamond necklace for anniversary, Christmas, Valentine's Day, I don't know, birthday, whatever it may be. Some of you, just because. Good for you. And let's say that you give that to your wife and she opens it up and she's like, oh my goodness, oh, this is so beautiful. This is the best present that you've ever given to me. Oh my, it must have been expensive. I can't believe that you spent this much money and you, you gave this to me. Oh, you know my heart. I love this gift. Not only do I love the necklace, I love the box it came in. And then you say, you can't have the box, that's mine. <laughs> you know, the box is not part of the gift. That belongs to me. I mean, naturally, you're not going to do that, are you? How foolish would that be? I mean, it's going to rob all the joy that comes from the gift, and the gift is the diamond necklace. Well, friend, listen to me. God's given us the diamond, the best, Jesus, his son. For him to withhold what we need in life it would be the equivalent of him saying, I'm giving you the diamond necklace, but I'll keep the box for myself. He is for us. And everything else is so much less valuable than Jesus. Who can oppose us? Many are going to try, but God is for us. Here's the second question, verse 33, look there. Who can charge us? I'll tell you who charges us all the time, Satan does. Matter of fact, did you know that the name Satan in the Hebrew language literally means slanderer? Satan accuses, but God excuses. God forgives. God justifies. We get this wrong idea of Satan. We think that Satan is down in hell right now. He's wearing long red underwear. He's got a pointed tail and, you know, he's got a pitchfork and he's in hell and he's shoveling coal. And listen, that is not the case. Now, one day he'll end up there. One day he'll end up in the bottomless pit forever and ever and ever. But friend, he's not there right now. No, no, he has access to all of us on earth. Has access to even God in heaven right now. How do we know this? Job 1 kind of gives us a little insight to what is happening in the world with Satan. The Bible says this. The Bible says that God was in heaven and all the angels, the good angels and the fallen angels, they're coming before God, apparently appearing, and God turns to the devil and God asks the devil this question. What have you been doing? To which the devil, Satan, responded and he said, I've been going to and fro, up and down, all throughout the whole earth. That's what he does. 
He roams around like a roaring lion trying to find someone that he may devour. And then God says, have you considered my servant Job? He's faithful. He's good. And then listen to Satan's accusation. He said, well, no wonder. The reason why he's so faithful is because you've been so good to him. You've given him all this stuff. You've provided for him uh, extravagantly. God, you've doted on him. No wonder he is faithful. No wonder he trusts in you. I can promise you, God, if you'll remove it all, he'll curse you to your very face. He's the accuser. That's what he does. He accuses us before God day and night. And that's what he is doing today. He'll sit there and he'll say, you know what? Hey, God, look, look, listen to that person. What are they doing praying? Listen to that person. What are they doing singing songs of praise? That person right there is a dirty, rotten sinner. Think of all the bad things that they've done, God. Who are they worthy to come before you? Who are they worthy to say the name? of Jesus Christ you know who they are you know how they are he accuses us before God day and night but you know who else he accuses us to us he accuses us to us Satan and his demons will whisper in our ear and they'll say listen you're no good you're a dirty rotten sinner Here you are in here singing those songs, lifting your hands, and you know the thoughts that you had this past week. You're rotten to the core. Those things that you used to do. What are you doing in church today? You think that you can play a good game, but I know what you've done. You know what you've done. You're nothing but a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner. And at times what happens is, guys, we feel like we're fighting against powers that we're like, I have no hope whatsoever. I have, I have no ability to defeat those powers. I mean, stop and think about this. How can we combat a, satan- a satanic force that has the power to wreck marriages? The cripple moralities. The kind of satanic power that abuses children. There was an old, uneducated country preacher one time, and all of a sudden there was this highly educated agnostic that challenged him. The agnostic asked this question. He said, why do you Christians constantly claim assurance of victory in the battle of eternity? The old, uneducated country preacher said this, well, son, it says in the beginning of my Bible that God was in charge when time started up. Then I flips over to the end of my Bible and it reads that God will be in charge when time runs down. So I figure that twits the beginning and twits the end, there weren't anybody else big enough to whoop him. Yeah. I mean, it may not be said correctly, but I'm telling you there's a great, great, lo- a, a, a lot of theological truth in that very statement. That there is a power that can emerge victorious over any battle that Satan may wage. And that power is the almighty, omnipotent, wonder-working power of the eternal God. We sang about it earlier. If God be for us, who can be against us? 
See, Satan does. He accuses. But here's what God has said. God has said, I have forgiven you. I have justified you. You are, mm, you are pardoned. You are pardoned. All throughout the Bible, we speak of the pardon of God through Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 43, 25. God has blotted out our transgressions and he remembers them no more. So this is what is happening for the redeemed. This is what is happening for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? This is what's happening for somebody that we would say is saved. They are a Christian. And so the devil comes along and the devil says, hey God, do you remember Stephen Kyle? Hey God, do you remember how, how sinful he used to be? Do you remember how dirty he used to be? Do you remember how rotten he used to be? And here's what God says, no I don't. I don't remember how dirty he used to be. I don't remember how rotten he used to be. I don't remember how sinful he used to be. Because the Bible says this, that God has blotted out the transgressions of the redeemed and he has chosen to remember them no more. Who can be against us? Many try, but God's for us. Who can charge us? Satan accuses, but God excuses Question number three, look at verse 34. Who can condemn us? He answers it right there in 34. Christ, who died and forevermore is also risen, who even is at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. So here's what he is saying. He says, who can condemn us? Now, Christ could. He's the only one who could. But he doesn't. He prays for us. He intercedes on our behalf. And guys, do you understand what we're saying here? Jesus, the only one to ever have flesh, and he did not know sin. The only one who rightfully could bring about condemnation. And he says, no, those that are in me, I'm interceding on their behalf. The chief justice of the Supreme Court is praying for you. You say, John Roberts is praying for me? <laughs> no, he may be, I don't know, he may be, I don't know. When I say Supreme Court, I always have to be careful to, to, to emphasize the United States Supreme Court. Because there is a court that is much more supreme than the United States Supreme Court. And the chief justice of that court is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so, did you know that he is living and he is interceding on your behalf because of your faith and trust in him? That one day he will condemn sin. That one day he will condemn sinners. Revelation chapter 20 talks about this, that Jesus is seated in a white throne. The white, the white, that symbolizes his purity. We've already said that. The only one to ever have flesh and did not sin. Tempted in every way that we are, yet he knew no sin. Am I the only one that you're just like, wow, mind blown. Because I know, I know what it's like to have flesh on and deal with temptation and sin, don't you? So he's seated in a white, white representing his purity, 
throne representing his royalty. And at that time, Jesus will condemn sin and sinners. Just saying the Bible has said, who can condemn those that are in Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus could, but for those of us that are in Jesus Christ, he's not condemning. Instead, he is praying, he is interceding. How do we know that? Go back eight weeks to Romans 8.1. You've forgotten that one, haven't you? No, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Jesus Christ. So you and I must be in Jesus Christ or else we will be condemned. But because we are in Jesus Christ, he is not condemning us. Instead, he is pleading on our behalf. He is interceding on our, but oh, what a glorious truth that is. That Satan is there and Satan is like the prosecuting attorney. Now listen, if you're a prosecuting attorney here, I'm not saying that you're like Satan. I'm saying Satan's like you. He's always pointing his finger. He's always saying, look how bad that person is. Look at how evil that person is. Look at how wicked that person is. But the Bible says that for those that are in Jesus Christ, he is our advocate. He is our heavenly defense attorney. Can I get a witness defense attorneys this morning, right? He's standing there interceding to the Father on our behalf. You're like, why do you get so worked up when you preach? I like going to a church where a preacher's real quiet and calm. And how can you read this and stay quiet and calm? Right? Right? He's the heavenly defense attorney. The Bible says, seated at the right hand of God, the Father, interceding for you and me. Now, I'll just like to stop and say this. To me, this is one more reason why you can never lose your salvation. This is a perfect example of assurance and security of salvation. I know folks sit there and folks say, oh, that's right, I forgot. I forgot I was in a Baptist church. How could you forget that, right? I'm in a Baptist church, and I know you guys, you think once saved, always saved. And see, see, a lot of times folks will, they'll kind of they'll battle against that because they have interpreted once saved, always saved as somebody can become a follower of Christ, and then they go out and do whatever in the world they want to do, and when they die, they will go to heaven. I would just submit, this and I speak this from my own life the moment that I came to know Christ and the Holy Spirit at that moment came to take residence in my own life listen listen I don't have the desire to go out and do whatever I want to do I don't have a desire to live in rebellion am I perfect no do I struggle absolutely am I going to struggle with sin as long as I'm in the flesh yes 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 I don't like to use the phrase once saved always saved because I think folks use that as a crutch to talk bad about good theological doctrine I will say if saved always saved you're like it's the same I know I know because here's what it means. It rests on Jesus, not on me. And so if I sit there, somebody better hear me. If I sit there and I say that I can do something to forfeit my salvation, then what I'm saying is Jesus' prayers are of no value. 
Because he's interceding right next to the Father on my behalf. You say, well, Jesus didn't know how wicked you would. Come on now. Come on now, friend. No, our salvation is dependent upon Jesus in heaven interceding on our behalf. I'm just saying, if he's praying for you, nothing and no one can make him stop praying for you. He's just asked the question, who can condemn us? Well, Jesus could, but he's not. He's pleading for us. Here's how it goes. Hey, don't forget, Father, that one's with me. It probably didn't go that way because Jesus knows the Father can't forget. But he's interceding. The devil's accusing. Look at them. Look at how rotten they are. Look at their thoughts. Look, look, look at their heart. Look at them. And Jesus is like, got that one covered. I got that one covered. Yeah, my blood covered all. He could condemn us. Mm. But he per- intercedes. Here's the fourth one. Verse 35, who can separate us? The word separation or separate in the original Greek language means this. It means to cut off, to chop off. It'd be like our English word amputate. Who can amputate us from the love of God? Of course, the answer is nobody No one. Here's what we know about Paul. Paul tends to get on a subject and he just won't let go, will he? Over and over and over again. And that's the nature and the the personality of Paul. But then then all of a sudden, Paul kind of gives us several categories of things that are unable to separate us. I can just see him sitting here thinking, all right, I'm going to have to be writing this to to, to church folk and I know how they can be. So I'm going to try to cover everything that I can think of here. You know, naturally the Holy Spirit of God is the one that's writing this. And he says, hey, I want to remind you of what cannot separate you or cannot amputate you, cut you off from the love of God, nor cut the love of God off from you. First of all, non-emotional factors. Look in verse 35. He uses two words in verse 35. Tribulation or distress. The word tribulation there means inner pressure. It talks about your feelings. It's talking about the emotional factors that are happening inside of us, giving us a lot of problems, whether it's depression or it's discouragement or it's anger or it's bitterness. Sometimes these inner feelings of pain and suffering and calamity can make us ask the question, does God really love me? I don't feel like God loves me today. And that is a real struggle for a lot of people. Let me just stop and say this. Let us not forget our feelings will lie to us in a split second. There's a song that we sing, and every time we sing, and I know you guys are going to get borderline Pentecostal, Waymaker. And there's a phrase in that song that we sing that goes like this, even when I don't see you, you're working, even when I don't feel it, you're working. You say, Pastor, what do I do? What do I do if I'm one of those that emotional factors are sitting there saying God doesn't really love you? Some of you this morning are, are literally sitting there and you're hearing what I'm saying and you're like, well, I know he loves everybody else. What do you do? 
You stand on the truth of the Word of God. You tell your feelings based on what God has said. He loves me. I would even encourage you, there are times, there are times even myself to where I will have to say out loud, Satan, um, I'm sorry if you don't let your kids use this word, Satan, shut up. I am loved by the one true high king. Loved me so much he gave the very best the world has ever known. Uh, The very best that anything has ever known. He gave me his son. I know that I am loved. I know I don't feel like it today. I know that I'm loved. Read the Psalms. Do you see David over and over again? Oh man, I don't feel like God's with me today. I feel like God's abandoned me today. But I remember God has said he'll never abandon me. So you have those inner feelings, right? Our own feelings will lie to us. But then he uses that second word, distress. Distress. You know what that means? That means outer pressure. <laughs> and this is where we tend to, uh, tend to focus on. It, it is a word used to describe being caught between two rocks. Here's how we'd say it. I'm in between a rock and a hard place. Do, do you feel like that, you know, you're like, man, I'm doing pretty good on the inside. I'm doing pretty good with my own feelings. I'm not really putting a lot of pressure on me. But my goodness, from the outside, the pressure that's being put on me, financial pressure, pressure on your job, pressure from family. I know you won't amen that, but I'm just saying, you know what I'm talking about. Pressure from friends. The Bible says that even that outward pressure uh, that causes you emotional pain, even the worst of that, cannot separate you from God's love. Can't amputate it. Again, it's not based on how you feel. It's based on who God is. But then there's a second area that he talks about. He says, hey, listen, God's love is not even amputated by physical factors. Look at what he says persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword. I mean, literally a weapon that can be used to kill someone. That even these physical threats cannot separate you from the love of God. And here's what I know right now, that there's some of you that are suffering physically in one form or another. There are those of you that are like, you know, I wake up in the morning, I feel like I've been beat all night long. The pain that I'm going through. Here's what we know, you live enough and physically you're going to hurt. Or as I like to say, you live long enough, you're going to die, right? Yeah, this old body is breaking down, this old tent is giving up, and the Bible makes no bones about it, that's what happens. And right now there are many of you, you feel like you're the target of a lot of pain. You've got to remember that even the physical pain that you may suffer will not amputate you from the love of God. He says we are more than conquerors over all these things. The key, through him who loves us. And then he has another category. I'm telling you, he's going to cover everything. The third category, God's love will not be cut off from you because of earthly factors. Look at verse 38. He says, death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death. 
He says, death can't even separate you from the love of God. And those of us that are in Christ, those of us who have a personal relationship with Jesus, death is a beautiful, beautiful gift where he now ushers us into the very presence of God. And that's the reason why we can even face death with great assurance and great hope. Because the Bible tells us that for those that are in Christ, the day of our death is much greater than even the day of our birth. I heard about a man one time that was having his tombstone prepared. He was doing all the prearrangements, but his tombstone prepared for the day that he would die. He said, I don't want it to be like most tombstones. I don't want you to put the day that I was born and the day that I died. He said, instead, here's what I want you to put. Put my name and underneath my name, I want you to put the day that I was born again. That means the day that he was saved, that he came to know Jesus. And then he said, underneath that, I don't want you to put the day that I died. Instead, I want you to put the date of when I was transferred to heaven. And I thought, man, I like that right there, don't you? Death cannot separate you. Life cannot separate you from the love of God. And then he uses a couple of words, height nor depth. What he is saying is this, the highest pinnacle on the earth cannot separate you from the love of God. The deepest part of the sea cannot separate you from the love of God. No earthly factor can separate you from the love of God. Listen to me, nothing that you experience in your time here on earth can separate you from the love of God. And then he has a fourth category, not even heavenly factors. Talks about angels, talks about demons. Look in verse 39, look at what he says. Nor any other created thing. There is nothing on earth and there is nothing in heaven and there is nothing that has ever been created that can separate you from my love. Now this is a time where I need you to stop and I need you to put yourself in the sandals of the audience that he was writing to. He was writing to Rome. Thousands upon thousands of Christians were martyred in Rome because they refused to renounce Christ. The Romans were ingenious at their barbaric ways of persecution. I mean, we read the word and neither sword, and we just kind of let it roll on because very few of us, I dare say none of us, are, are afraid that we may walk out of this room today and all of a sudden somebody's going to arrest us in the parking lot and drag us and they're going to cut our heads off with a sword. It would have been very real to them. They wouldn't have just kind of glazed over the word sword. Romans would take young Christians and they would place them in leather bags filled with poisonous snakes and scorpions and they would tie it up to their neck and then they would shake the bag. Paul was saying to those of you that are going to the leather bag with the snakes, not even that can separate you from the love of God. Sometimes Christians, they would take Christians and they would tie them to the horns of bulls. 
And then he would take that bull into an arena. The Christians would be alive. He would take the bull into the arena and the bull would fight against the lion. And as the crowd cheered, the Christian would be torn to pieces. History has told us that to be true. Paul says, listen, even when they take you and they tie you to the horns of the bull, not even that will separate you from God's love. And even the apostle Paul himself, we know that he was in prison in Rome and he was released and then later he would be rearrested, placed in the Mamertine prison. When he was an old man, right after he wrote the letter of 2 Timothy, one day he heard the footsteps of a Roman soldier coming down the hall. History tells us that they took him and pulled him out. And they took him into the sunrise. They laid the guy who wrote what we're reading today, they laid him down on a block. And a big Roman soldier, he took a big, long, heavy sword. And I can imagine the Apostle Paul looked up at that sword and he remembered the words that he wrote right here. Famine, nakedness, not even a sword can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then swish. And the next second, he was in the very presence of God. You know, I have to ask myself, is there there any of us that have it that bad? (laughs) I think the greater question to ask is this. Is there any one of you that doubt for one second how much God loves you? He says, the worst that the world can throw at you cannot separate you from my love that is in Christ Jesus the Lord. Now again, that's the key. In Christ Jesus the Lord. Oh, please hear me. This is what keeps me up at night, that there are those of you that, that sit under my teaching and my preaching quite regularly that are highly religious, but you're lost. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Friend, if the only time you pray, if the only time you study the Word of God, if the only time that you feel as though you're in the presence of God is when you find yourself at this place, can I just say danger, danger, danger? That would be every reason for me to question, am I in Christ? Because in Christ means Christ is in you. There is something that will separate you one day from God. And that is the condemnation that will come from you paying the price of your own sin. Doesn't have to. Loves you so much. God does that. He says, I'll send my best. I'll send Jesus. He'll take their place. He'll die. I'm just saying, the gift of forgiveness is what he offers to all. Will you surrender to Jesus today? It's not about putting your faith in a prayer. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know I'm in Christ. I repeated a prayer that somebody had me pray one time. 
Please hear me. Nothing wrong with the sinner's prayer. That's how I expressed what was already happening in my own heart. I called upon the name of Jesus in a sinner's prayer. A sinner's prayer is a great, great way to express my faith in Christ, but a sinner's prayer never forgave one sin. A sinner's prayer is a terrible object of faith. Religion's a terrible object of faith. Church membership, baptism, all those things are great but they're terrible objects of faith. Jesus is the only object of faith that can do anything about our sin. And he's already done it. So what keeps me up at night that you guys would sit here week after week or watching at home week after week and that you would still be bound in your own sin? Are you in Christ. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Would you bow your heads with me today? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, can I first of all just speak to brothers and sisters in Christ? Those of you that know that you are in Jesus, no question, no doubt. Maybe your feelings have been lying to you recently. Maybe all these factors that Paul points to that it's, it's caused you, maybe your focus to get a little messed up. It's caused you maybe to even have times and seasons of doubt. That maybe this morning you would just say, you know what? Feelings, I know what God's word has said. I'm taking him at his word. The pain, the suffering that comes as a part of living in this world, the pressure that we put on ourselves, the pressure that everyone else puts on us, maybe it's caused your eyes just to, just to get off of the prize. And maybe today you would just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that even that cannot separate me from your love. And then can I just speak this to those that are here and you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're in Jesus. Isn't that too big of a deal? Isn't eternity too valuable for you to hope so, think so, wish so? No, no, you can, you can know. You can know. It's the beautiful gift that he offers to you today. If I did not know that my salvation was complete and secure, there is no way I'd walk out of this room without getting it right. There, there, there's no way I'd get in my car, go wherever it takes me. The risk is too great to think of being separated from God for all eternity. No, now's the time. Now's the time to get it settled. Maybe you're here today and God's calling and drawing and moving. Come to me. Come to me. Run to him, friend. Run to Jesus. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. 
Uh, we would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www.highland, and it's H-I-L-A-N-D, park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, Our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.